Thanks, Lonnie. Hey, let's give uh, Lonnie a hand. That was awesome to go through some of that stuff, those details. Thank you. Okay, so, yes, as I just want to reiterate, as Lonnie was saying, um, please pray for Anthony. Uh, it sounds like the surgery went well, um, had to repair a disc, ruptured disc or something in his back, and so he is recovering, and he's trying to comply with the doctors. So that's why you have me this week, so. Hey, it's such a privilege to be here and to get a chance to share God's word with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I will also have it up on the screens back here. Um, I'm super excited about this passage. This is a crazy passage. For some reason, I feel like I get all the crazy passages. What the heck? Um, but buckle your seatbelts because this is a very interesting one. For any of you that are theology nerds, you came to the right one, right? You came to the right week. Also, any of you that are history nerds, you came to the right week, okay? Um, so, yeah, we're going to be continuing on in our Tethered series, and this is our series in Mark. Um, we are kind of following the disciples and their journey with Jesus and how Jesus is connecting them more and more with himself and how as we are going along with this journey and partaking in it and, and studying it with, uh, as they are kind of going along in the, their journey, um, we are hoping to be tethered more and more closely, closely to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So yeah, um, you know, and as I was looking at this passage, again, Mark chapter 12, um, there's just a couple prayers that I had for myself um, because have any of you guys had this thing? It's a phenomenon. It's called Bible whiplash. Bible whiplash. And what it is, okay, before you raise your hand, it's where you're reading the Bible and you're like, what? This is crazy. What? This isn't how I pictured like God acting. This isn't. This isn't how like things you know I would normally see pan out. Like it's kind of like Bible whip, whiplash where you know you're re listening to a lot of Christian radio and then all of a sudden the Bible comes and it's like and it smacks you upside the face. How many of you guys have Bible whiplash before and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. Okay, this is good that I'm reading the Bible. Okay, this is good. This is a good thing. All right, that's this week. Bible whiplash. This passage, Mark chapter 12, it picks up in the middle of the final week of Jesus' life. We talked through and we talked about the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is a crazy time, guys. And, um, you know, Easter's kind of on the horizon right now, but we're kind of ahead of it. And this would just be incredible to have been a disciple and to have walked through this. Um, it's an incredible week full of excitement upon Jesus' arrival, but at the same time, it's full of incredible tension and incredible awkwardness. And like, just know, these religious leaders, they're planning on killing Jesus. And Jesus is talking with them. He's right in the temple again. And this is craziness. This is awkwardness level 10, okay? If you guys have ever been, like, shared the gospel with somebody, and it's awkward, right? And you got to just accept awkward is awesome. I'm just going to do this, right? I'm just going to step out in faith. Jesus takes this to a whole other level, okay? This is a whole another level. But Jesus is bringing the new covenant. He's bringing something new. He's bringing life to where there once was darkness. It's my conviction that so many great acts happen in this last week, incredible threads and themes that we can't miss. One of them is, the obvious one, the salvation plan of redemption for mankind. And this is one epic strand that is running through this week. 
the disciples have heard it. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But they don't fully understand what's happening yet. And they're about to see it. The plan of salvation is one huge thread. Jesus was going to the cross to die under the wrath of God in our place. Because you and I, we deserve God's wrath because we have sin. So Jesus is going to suffer under the wrath of God in our place. That's one great thread that's happening. Another great thread that I'm convinced is happening in this final week is that it's the beginning of the end of the Old Covenant. And this is one of the keys to that, what we're talking about this week. Uh, the beginning of the end of the Old Covenant is happening. Here you've got the religious leaders and the temple sacrifices happening. This would be incredible to have seen back in the day. Just imagine the sacrifices back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where they talked about this was the precursor to Jesus. They would have animals come in, and if you had sinned, you have to slaughter an animal. And the blood was spilled. The Bible says that uh, without, the shedding of in, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So this was something that they did in the temple. And there was the Holy of Holies, and this was a major building, massive, the biggest building in all of Jerusalem. It was huge. And the courtyard and all the amazing gold furniture that was on the inside, it was incredible. And this was the second temple. The first temple built by David was destroyed. This was the second temple that was soon to be destroyed. Soon after Jesus did his ministry, that second temple would be destroyed. So this is a great thread. Jesus is bringing to an end this system, this thing that was pointing to him, and he's bringing this to an end. And what I want to say is, and this was one of the, my heart checks that I wanted to do this week, and to let you know, this is a Bible whiplash that you're going to get this week, is that God, this passage, there's grace in this passage, there's incredible love, but there is judgment in this passage. And God is looking at these shepherds of his people, and they have fallen short in massive ways. And now he is going to bring the old covenant to an end, but it's through judgment. And I, I just really want to have God's heart, you know? There's an aspect to which, and this is, we, we have to understand this as Christians, our God is a consuming fire, okay? That's, that's like a verse in the Bible, where God has this incredible love, but God is also fierce. And these are aspects of God that we cannot miss. So the second great thread is there's this new covenant happening. There's this new thing happening. And there's a salvation of men. And by the end of this week, the entire religious landscape is going to be redrawn. Jesus is going to do some insane stuff. Gone are the days where Jesus was talking with his disciples. Gone are the days that he was walking with them. Now he is accomplishing what he set on this earth to complete. And it's going to change everything. And everything will change. After this date, it will no longer be focused on Israel, the state of Israel, and the workings of the temple. It will be centered on the church and everything that God wants to bring with salvation to the nations. And it is built upon Jesus Christ. But this is a radical thing. This is a tumultuous thing. This is something on the level. This would, if we were there, we would not be able to even understand what's going on. To be an early Testament, New Testament Jew, and to see the temple be destroyed, and all these things to take place, we would be astonished. This is a whole new world that is happening. And everyone would have seen it, and everyone would have felt the ministry 
of Jesus and the ramifications afterwards. On one hand, the people are on Jesus' side. So going back to the people, on one side, the people are on Jesus' side. They want to hear from him. He's coming to the temple. Just imagine the brashness of Jesus. He came in and he saw the money changers and all these people and he threw them all out, right? One of the gospel accounts say that he took a, a, a whip. He made a whip and drove them out of the temple. And now he comes back to the temple and he's teaching. Just imagine the tension there. The, the people wanting, they know the miracles that he's done. And, but they're so excited. They just praised him as they came into the town. This is just a couple days after that, in the middle of the week. And at the same time, the religious leaders are literally nails on a chalkboard. They want to kill this guy, but they can't because they're afraid of the people. This would have been, I just can't imagine the atmosphere it would have been wonderful, it would have been beautiful, but it would have been dark, and this would have been absolutely incredible. I just can't imagine what it would have been like. The leaders, they're looking for a way to discredit Jesus and to turn the people against him. At any point, they hate Jesus, and they want to use their own authority to get rid of him. They're jealous of him and how he's drawn the people after him, and they're threatened by his teaching. And today's message, they're about to feel even more threatened. By Jesus times 10 today Jesus is going to give us a special parable called the parable of the tenants and oftentimes Jesus would use parables to teach truth uh, sometimes he would use them to illustrate like a story but then other times he would use them to conceal truth and, and the Bible says that he said this so that they wouldn't understand and then afterwards he would instruct his disciples this is what the parable meant this parable the religious leaders, this is given directly to the religious leaders. They're listening to him. Jesus is talking to them. And at the beginning, they are not going to understand what's happening. But by the end, they are fully going to understand what's happening. Many times he would tell a parable and he wouldn't fully explain it until afterwards. His primary listeners for this are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers. They're antagonistic towards them and they want to kill him. Now, I, I just want to say one more thing about the parables, and then we're going to jump right into it. But Jesus was incredible. If you read the parables that he had, they were just wonderful. And it was just supernatural genius how he would reel you in, right? And he would often throw in bombs. Bombs would go out. Um, and and he, would, he would put in there just like knife to the heart spiritual truth that we need to hear. Just wonderful, just amazing how Jesus would teach. He would go right to the heart of whoever he was talking to. He would often include shocking or unconventional twists in his parable. For instance, um, uh, the prodigal son. As the people would have heard the story, they would have said, oh, this prodigal son, he's wicked. He's gone away, you know, into a far country, taken all the money that his father so uh, gave him uh, generously and wasted it on riotous living, right? He comes back after he's totally wasted everything and he's eating the pods of the pig, the Bible says, and he comes back wanting to just be a servant in his father's home. And the, everybody watching it or everybody listening to this parable would have been like, wow, how is this father going to respond? But Jesus says the father, when he saw him still far off, ran to his son. He, he ran to his son. He had such a heart of love. And everybody seeing that would have been shocked. They would have thought, 
what is the father doing? He's going there. What, that was a wicked son. But Jesus has this amazing way of reeling you in and just throwing spiritual bombs in there. Things that just totally turn you for a loop. Another example of this, which is a really good one, is the Good Samaritan. Here you have a, a, a man dying on the edge of the road, and, and you've got um, the priest walks past, right? And everybody's like, the priest is going to stop by. He keeps going. He's like, eh, I'm not going to stop for this guy. Uh, this, the scribe goes past, right? These are the religious leaders. And then Jesus says, guess who, who comes by? It's the Samaritan. And everybody's like, what? Because nobody liked Samaritans back then. The Samaritan dropped by? He was the neighbor to that man? That's right. Who was the neighbor to him? The one who had mercy on him. Incredible. We're going to feel that today. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Let's pray real quick. God, I just pray now as we read your word, I just pray that you would help me to strike the right notes, God. This is a passage about, um, about your wrath. And God, I pray that we would struggle with your word as we go through this, God, that we would realize who you are and your nature, that you are love, but at the same time, you are just and you are bringing ultimately something new. You're bringing the new covenant. We thank you for that, God. That's marvelous in our eyes. That's wonderful in our eyes, God. And we just confess you are our cornerstone. You are the cornerstone of Riverview Community Church. We're so honored and joyful that we get to serve you in the earth. And we pray this in your name, amen. So first, we're going to go through this parable. I'm going to tell you the interpretation, and then I'm going to give you some applications. So let's jump right into it. Mark chapter 12, verse 1, starts like this. Jesus is in the temple, and he's talking with the religious leaders. This would have been a crazy atmosphere. And he began to speak to them in parables, saying, A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for a wine press, and built a tower He's kind of setting up a story here. And this is actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 5. They don't know it at the time, but they're just going along with him. He's saying that a man planted a vineyard. This would be something incredibly common in uh, New Testament times. Um, there's tons of vineyards made. And um, so an owner, a wealthy man, came in and planted a vineyard. This would be something that would take time and great care to make. Um, vineyards are not easy, and they're very temperamental. So making the rows, and um, it says that he put a fence around it to uh, protect it, right? Because you want to protect your property. This, this is valuable stuff. A vineyard it has valuable fruit, and so you want to protect it. And so here you've got this man. He plants a vineyard. He puts a fence around it, and he even digs a pit for a wine press so they have everything that they need. And then, so there's, there's also a fence around it, and then he builds a tower. Wonderful. This man really cultivates something beautiful, something wonderful, um, something that can be benefited from for a long time. Oftentimes, uh, vineyards would take many years in order to start producing fruit. And so he's making a great investment here in this property. Isaiah chapter 5, now this is where the spiciness comes in. Um, Isaiah chapter 5 is a, um, it's a judgment passage. It's very similar. If you read Isaiah chapter 5, it's the same way. But Isaiah chapter 5 goes on. And it talks about how God has planted this vineyard and the people have rebelled against him. And because of that, God's going to bring judgment on them. And so here he is talking to the religious leaders in the same way that Isaiah said it before. He is saying this to them. God is bringing something new. He's bringing a new covenant. He's bringing a new thing here. They didn't know that this was judgment. 
Let's keep going. Um, so he makes this vineyard and he leases it to tenants and went to another country. Um, tenant, this would be a very common thing that would have happened. A landowner made uh, something and then he brought people in to farm it. They would live there, they would share in the fruit, but he made a contract with them and said, hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to reap some of this harvest. And so he had an expectation of this. This owner had an expectation that he was going to come back and get some of the harvest from this vineyard. Tenants, um, they were not the owners, um, but they were to farm it, to take care of it, and produce the fruit. And journeys back then, right, they did not have planes, they, they didn't have the nice boats that we have nowadays, they didn't have the high-speed rail and the cars that go, you know, 80 miles an hour on I-80, they didn't have any of that. So it took a long time, man. You go for a, a, a trip, somewhere in a boat, sometimes you could be gone for years before you come back. Amazing trips, and, and even the apostles and stuff, when they went on missionary journeys, it would just be crazy, just walking, right? This is crazy. He went off on a journey to a far country. Let's keep going. Verse 2. The season came, and he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some fruit in the vineyard. The owner had an expectation. He wanted to go and get some fruit. And this is, some, this is his right. He made a contract with these people. He allowed them to stay there. He built everything. He gave them everything. And now he's going. He's sending a servant, not himself, but a servant, to go harvest it. And the religious leaders are listening. And at this, when they hear what happens, there begins to be a buzz. Whoa. Verse 3. And they took him, the tenants took the servant, and they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Whoa. Whoa. The verb there for beat him literally means to strike with your hand, to beat him up. They, they struck him. Now, the religious leaders, they would have been like, oh, oh, this is interesting. Okay, they, they had this, this, uh, this thing set up, and the tenants, they, this is like, this is criminal. This is vicious. This is something, this isn't only like a form of robbery, but this is assault. The religious leaders would have been shocked at this, and they would have been like, wow, how dare these people do such a thing? Let's keep going. It gets worse. Verse 4, they sent him another servant, and they struck him on the head. Literally, they beat his head. That's what that says. They struck him in the head and treated him shamefully. Holy cow. The leaders would have been like, who, are these, who do these tenants think that they are? This, this, the, this is the owner. How can they just, they're just treating his servants like this? These are probably the, the man's good friends and things like this, his workers, and they're doing this to him. How dare they do something like that let's keep going so this is not a good picture but but man jesus has a way of getting us sucked in here's another one verse five he sent yet another and they killed him and so with many others they beat and some they killed this is now very serious this has gone beyond uh, assault and you know robbery and stuff like that this is now murder this is murder. These tenants, who are these tenants? Who do they think they are? They're not the owner. How dare they do something like this? How do they, how did they get off doing something like this? Why, how could they do it? Don't they know that this was given to them as a gracious possession? And they're supposed to be stewards of it. How could they do this? The religious leaders would have been shocked, outraged. It would have been buzzing. They would have been right along with Jesus like, yeah, what the heck is going on? These guys need to be punished. Verse five. Oh, wait, I read that one already. Let me keep going. Verse 6. Still another, a beloved son 
So here's the owner. He's had these people go. They've been beaten up. Some of them have been killed. And then he says, and you can see God's loving heart here. God says, I still have one more. My son. And, and it's not just any son. It's my beloved son. God says, I have my beloved son here. I'm gonna send him. Surely they'll respect him. Surely they'll see what's going on. Surely they'll say that I'm the owner and, and I bless them so much. I let them live here and take care of it. And, and they just have to produce a harvest for me. Surely they'll respect my son. Now at this point, the religious leaders are like, whoa, 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 don't send your son. These guys are crazy. They're gonna kill your son. They're gonna kill your son. This is your beloved son. I have a son. At this point, they're probably doubting even the sanity of the owner. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, don't send your son. This is crazy. What's happening? You can just see the heart-wrenchingness of this. This is no small parable. This is bursting with colors. There's amazing beauty here. What's going on here? What is Jesus trying to say? There's deep things there. These are important things. These are things God's bringing something new, a new covenant. God's bringing something new. Things are going to have to happen for that to come to pass. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. This is the future. This is the future of the owner. This is his inheritance, his progeny, beloved son. Verse 7, but the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. You know, one thing that I think about with these tenants, they don't understand how blessed they are. They have no idea how blessed they are. But they not only want to take it, they not only want to be in it, they want to own it. They say, I know you had purposes, owner, but now these purposes are ours. Now You had this one idea, but now we want this for ourselves. They say, come. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. This is a shocking twist. And verse 8 says, and they took him and killed him. They killed the son, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What is happening here? Whoa. Jesus is saying to them, I am the son, and I am going to be killed. God is sending Jesus to you, to talk to you, to the religious leaders, to reach out again, to say to you, it's not too late, it's not too late. But here they are. They're about to kill the son. No burial for the son, no place of honor for the son, thrown out on the edge of the city. Verse nine. Now, I'm sure at this point, the religious leaders would have been like, what do we do? What, what would you do? What would you do if you were the tenant, right? You've been so gracious, but these guys have just killed your son. What, what, would, what would you do? I know, I know the religious leaders probably would have said, well, the Old Testament, capital punishment, they probably would have thought. If you shed somebody's blood, your blood is required. The owner should have had have vengeance. What would you do? Now, at this point, 
Things are happening in the religious leader's mind. Now, what's so cool is, maybe you guys knew this, maybe you don't, but there are four Gospels. Now, the four Gospels, they complement each other. John is very different from the others. It's made for more evangelistic purposes. The first three are called Synoptic Gospels, and they're so cool because you can use them to look at the same situation from different vantage points. Because these guys, they record a lot of the same things. And in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record this parable. And they have little twists on it, right? One includes this, one leaves out this. And in Luke, after, they, after Jesus says verse, verse 9, all of a sudden in Luke 20, chapter 20, it says the people say, oh, God forbid that this would happen. There's a point to where they understand what's happening in this passage. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. I know where you're going with this, Jesus. I know exactly what you're saying here. There's this, this idea of the vineyard and all these imageries, it has a spiritual truth in reality, in what's happening at the time of Jesus and throughout history of Israel. Verse nine, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy or kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Oh, I have to be honest, this is the Bible whiplash, right? Some of you guys are like, oh, what? What is going on here? Like, this is crazy. This is the reality of God's judgment, right? I'm not gonna wish away this verse. I'm not gonna, you know, pretend like, you know, I'm not gonna bounce over this. Real. This, is, this, is, this is the God that you serve. This is the God that I serve. And again, he's a consuming fire. And there is a point, God is love. God is love. But there is a point to where grace has run its course. And regrettably, that's what's happening here. Grace has run its course. Now, I wanna go through quickly and just talk about the interpretation here and what really lay out in concrete terms, what was Jesus talking about? Who planted the vineyard in this passage and in Isaiah chapter five? It is God. God plants this vineyard. What is the vineyard? It is Israel. It is the nation of Israel. This is God's chosen people and they were to uh, give fruit. They were to be a holy people and they were to reach the nations. Uh, the next one, who are the tenants? They are the kings, the leadership throughout history of Israel, the high priest, and at this time, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the scribes, all these religious leaders, they were the tenants. Now you start to see the pointedness of what Jesus was saying, and they began to realize it. They knew that Jesus was talking about them. What was the time, the journey of the owner? Why, where was the why was the, journey, the, the owner's journey so long? Well, this is, the, this is a poetic way to talk about the entirety of Israel's history. And man, you read kings, you read judges. Oh man, the people turn away from God. Then they repent, right? And then God sends a, a, a person to come in and save them. And then they turn away. And then it's this crazy thing. And you look at who were the servants that God sent. These were prophets in the Old Testament. There's many, many prophets um, and honestly, you look in the New Testament shortly after this, um, where Jesus creates this new covenant. It's now built upon Jesus and the apostles. And just like, you know, the apostles were no different than Jesus. And Jesus was no different than the prophets that came before him. They were all incredibly mistreated by the religious leaders. The people who were who were blessed by God. They said, give, give me a harvest. 
It was the religious leaders that turned against God. This is a very interesting phenomenon. This phenomenon did not just end with their time. It is very present in our time as well. And that's something that we have to guard against so much. God forbid that we or any church in Ashland or beyond would look at God's word and say, I'm going to use this for my ends. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to reject God's word. What happened to the prophets of Israel? I have a couple verses to share with you. This is from Luke chapter 11. This is earlier on. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, it was, oh, these were fighting words with the religious leaders. He knew this from the very beginning, right? Luke chapter 11, it says, and this, this is a famous passage. He says in verse 42, woe to you, woe to you. It's like, you guys are going down. I don't know how else to say that. Woe to you. That's like, you're in trouble. Woe to you. It doesn't translate well, like, but that's what it means, okay? Woe to you. He's saying, you're in trouble. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your father. For they killed them and, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also, the wisdom of God has said, I will send prophets and apostles, some of them whom uh, they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged on this generation from the blood of Abel and the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the, and the sanctuary. I tell you, it will be required of this generation. This thread was throughout all of Jesus' ministry. This is, this is an amazing truth, very interesting. This is historical stuff happening. This generation, it was gonna happen. What's a prophet? What's a, what makes a prophet awesome? A prophet is somebody who is not concerned with people's opinions, right? A prophet says, wait, you don't like that message from God? Pfft, it's okay, guess what? I'm gonna tell you what God says anyway. And because of that, People get very upset. They think, oh, that is me. Oh, that's mean-spirited. What? You're talking about sin? What? You're talking about all these things? What? How dare you? But that's why the prophets were killed. They were done away with. Uh, tradition says that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was sawn in half. Elijah, remember the story of Elijah? He goes in and he's trying to say, hey, uh, uh, to King Ahaz and Jezebel, he says, hey, stop, stop doing Baal worship and stuff like that. And he dries up everything, right? And then they chase him, and he's like, God, just kill me now, right? And he has to be fed by the side of a brook. Isn't this amazing? Isn't it interesting how there's this phenomenon where religious leaders reject God's word, and they say, well, I'll do things my way. That's what's happening here. This burdens God's heart, but it has to end. He's bringing something new, something beautiful. Um, I want to share with you one more verse here. I'm just going to skip over one. It's a, it's a beautiful one from Jeremiah talking about Nebuchadnezzar, um, which was a king of Babylon who God used as judgment for his people. These are things that maybe you guys don't even realize are in the Bible, but they're there. Like This is an aspect of God that you need to understand. Otherwise, you're going to read the Bible, and somebody's going to point, you, point out something to you in the Bible, and you're going to be like, what? That's not my God. I could never serve a God like that, right? Except that's what the Bible, that's what the Bible says. Um, at that time, God used Babylon to judge his people. He actually called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. 
and use them to judge them, destroy Jerusalem, and take them into captivity. That was the end of the first temple. Here's Matthew 23. Also, again, he's saying, woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I think I have this one. Um, Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the temples and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if, if we had lived in those days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part in the shedding of the prophet's blood, right? It's very easy to say that, right? You look back in the Bible and say, oh, I would have, ne- I would have listened to Isaiah until I, Isaiah, or Jesus, is sitting right in front of you, saying, here's life. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your idols. All of a sudden, there's costs that are involved. All of a sudden, oh, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I don't want to follow God's messenger, this prophet. Thus, you witness against yourselves that your sons, uh, that you are sons of the ones who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, these are harsh words. And I wish I could, as I was studying this, I was like, I, I just can't, I just, this is what it says, right? I, I'm not going to, Say something different. Um, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape the sentence of hell? Uh, therefore, I, set, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill and crucify, and some of you flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, here it comes again, all these things will come upon this generation. Then he says, and you can see his love here, this is not without love. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent of it, often, this is God's heart, this is God's heart, Often I would have gathered you as children, uh, your children together as a hen gathers, gathers, gathers her blah, 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 brood under her wings. Man, I want to I love you. I want to do this, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, world, in the, name of the Lord. Quickly now, I want to get to our application, but I want to finish talking about who's the son? It's Jesus. Jesus had, has all authority, and he will have all authority. Um, what's, what's uh, um, in verse 9, where it talks about um, what, what will the, the owner do to the tenants? He says judgment is going to happen. That is a prophecy. That is a prophecy. I have a couple pictures here. This is an interesting tidbit. There's a time where, when grace, grace is over. But before this application here, I think I have a couple pictures. One's of a, like a city. Um, maybe I have those. Maybe they got, oh, here it is. This is a famous picture, but this is uh, at, in the year 70 AD, um, the Roman legions surrounded Jerusalem. So remember, Jesus died in 33-ish, you know, shortly after 30, he was like 33 years old-ish. Um, Three-year ministry, he dies, and he says, on this generation, now, what's so interesting is, in 70 AD, this is a historical fact, that the city of Jerusalem and the whole nation rebelled against Rome, because it was under the boot of Rome at that point. And it was surrounded by armies, Roman legions, and they destroyed tons of villages, and they surrounded the whole city and sacked it, brutally destroyed it, killed thousands of people, and they tore down the temple. Now, remember what I was saying. God is bringing something new, okay? And 
it's coming through his judgment, but God has so much joy in what's coming. And God is bringing to an end this sacrificial system to the point where, guys, all the records of who was a Levite has been destroyed. It's all gone. Nobody knows exactly the, the heritage that goes back. Um, the temple was totally destroyed. All these sacrifices that were happening shortly after Jesus' ministry, it all ends. And it has never picked up. If you look at where uh, it, it was standing um, in the city of Jerusalem, it is now, there's a mosque on top. And it has not been rebuilt. So this was amazing. And this was a witness that the early Christians had as they reached out. They said, look, Jesus said that this was going to happen. Ves, uh, Titus Vespasian uh, put down the Jewish rebellion, destroyed the temple, brutally sacked Jerusalem, and destroyed it all. Who are the new stewards? The new stewards are the apostles. Now, I want to give you, here's the last little verse here. So verse 10, Jesus says, he gives some application here. He says, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected, he's talking about Jesus. This is the son who was killed. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the, the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Wonderful. And then their response and they were seeking to arrest, arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he told the parable against them. They got it. They know it's, they understand what's going on. And so they left him away. I want to give us some quick application here. Whoa, what do we do with this? This is a crazy verse. Maybe you guys got some Bible whiplash today. I know I got some Bible whiplash as I was studying this. But, the first application point is, something that strikes me as I read this is, man, we, we need to be born again. You and me, we need a new life that only Jesus can bring. Because you know what's striking about the religious leaders? They, they don't get it. They see what they're supposed to do. They read God's word, but they don't see it. You know, there's an aspect, maybe you guys haven't heard this before, but you and I, we need to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, but God needs to do something in our heart and we need to be born again. Do you know what happens when you're born again? You're a new creation, you're a new creature. You can't stay the same as what you were once. Once you could enjoy your sin and not have another thought of it in the world. But when God saves you, when you're born again, you sin, but you hate that sin. You turn away from it. You, you get rid of it all the time. You uh, put it away from you. When you're born again, you love God's word. You love getting into this thing. You love worshiping him. You're a new creation. God's bringing something new. We need this. And guys, if you are not born again, you need to cry out to God and say, God, I am, I am no different from these Pharisees. There's so many times where God speaks to me. I hear the preacher on Sunday morning and I could care less. I go back into my sin. God forbid if that's you. You need to cry out to God and say, God, please save me. Do something in my heart, God. There, there's that, that reality, and that is a frightening reality, where people can be in a spiritual building and they really don't know God because they have not been born again. This is not just a simple phenomenon back then. It carries forward to today. We need to seek truth. We need to love what God loves. Uh, so that's the first part. We need to be born again. The second one is we need to realize that sinful men hate truth. Sinful men hate truth. If you're going to be a prophet in your time, 
If you're going to tell somebody the truth, obviously do it in love. But please do it and just know that evil men hate the truth. And you are, we love to be liked. We love to be liked. But we're not going to be any higher or better off than Jesus was. Jesus was persecuted. We'll be persecuted too. Do it anyway. Do it with joy. God gives us joy, right? The last one is, um, we should all have all the confidence in the world. You and I as Christians, we should have all the confidence in the world. Why? Because in the end, what is this, what does he end with? He says, I am the chief cornerstone. You know why you and I should have all the confidence in the world? Because this is the new covenant now. And Jesus is the cornerstone. And if we stand on him, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen, church. Wonderful truth. Let's go out and serve our king. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, there's a lot here, God. I just pray that you would, anything that I left out, God, or, or put in there that shouldn't have been in there, God, I just pray that you would sort those things out in our minds. God, I thank you that you are an amazing God and you are doing something new and wonderful. God, I pray that, that you would work in our hearts and that um, what was said of these people would not be said of us, God, that we would love you, that we would... Um, follow you with our hearts, God, that this wouldn't be just some dumb thing that we do on Sunday mornings where we, we follow our parents and, or, or this is what we feel guilted into doing, but God, this would come from our hearts and we would be born again. God, I thank you for bringing something new, this new creation, this new covenant that's based on who you are. Um, we praise you, God. We worship you. Thank you for being an awesome, God. We pray this in your name.